Welcome to the New Books Network. Hi, listeners, and welcome to the New Books Network's special series, New Books and Celebration Studies. My name is Emily Allen, and I'm your host for this episode. For our episode today, I am talking with Neil Schuster about his book, Radical Ritual, How Burning Man Changed the World, published by Counterpoint Press in 2019. Written from Neil Schuster's perspective as a journalist, student of American culture, and six-time participant in Burning Man, Radical Ritual presents the event as vitally historically important. Schuster contends that Burning Man is a significant player in the avant-garde, forging new social paradigms as liberal democracy unravels. In a wonderful mix of narrative storytelling and reportage, Radical Ritual discusses how Burning Man has impacted the art world, disaster relief, urban renewal, the utilization of renewable energy, and even the corporate governance of Google. Neil Schuster has been a correspondent with Time Magazine, television critic for the Miami Herald, and editor of Atlanta Magazine. He's taught at Hampshire College, Boston University, and George Washington University. So, Neil Schuster, thank you for joining us for this episode of New Books and Celebration Studies. Uh, thank you, Emily. I'm, I'm looking forward to this conversation. Great. Yeah, we're happy, excited to have you. Um, so before we get into the book, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Like, for instance, how did you first get involved in Burning Man? Sure. Well, my wife got us involved in Burning Man. I, I would never have gone on my own. Uh, and seven years ago, uh, some friends of ours, uh, I now live in Washington, D.C., and some Washington friends were going, and she said, I'm going, and yeah, you can come or not come, but I'm going. So I, knowing Burning Man only by its reputation for outlandish sex and abundant drugs, I said, well, I'm, I'm, not, letting, I'm not going to let you or allow you or permit you or whatever. But that, that sounds horribly chauvinistic. But I'm unwilling to suffer as you go along, so I'm coming as well. And um, it was uh, quite extraordinary. So I, I went as a reluctant, uh, you know, a reluctant uh, accompanying spouse, I guess is the best way to put it. But once I, once I arrived, I was just uh, very much taken up with what was going on, both, both as a, a reporter and, and, and a student of culture, but also as, as somebody that thought, wow, this is just a very, very cool place to be. And at the end of uh, the end of the, 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 the first visit, uh, my wife, Kate was, was quite frustrated and she was mad. I said, why are you mad? She said, well, you didn't even want to come, and you ended up having a better time than I did. So <laughs> that's how I ended up at Burning Man. I'm, I'm a, I'm, I've spent almost all of my career as a, as a student of American culture, either as a reporter of American culture or occasionally as an academic. And uh, I just thought that Burning Man was uh, the most amazing specimen of culture that I had ever really um, encountered. And, and so, so I was, I, I, we happened by perchance, just the honest coincidence, we um, wandered into the camp that the founders of Burning Man uh, were at and ended up making contacts with them. And, and, and I was talking about how I thought it, would, uh, it might be very interesting to do a book about aspects of the Burning Man culture that would translate into the outside world. And that 
uh, turned out to be just exactly what they were uh, interested in in those days and still are very much so now, the organization. And so uh, one thing led to another and I, I embarked on the book and they gave me great support. And uh, four years later, five years later, a book came out of it. So, so that's, that's, the, uh, that's the version of how this book came to be. <laughs> That's great. You just you probably had no idea that when you went, all that would just happen. <laughs> or n- none. I mean, my Kate kept saying, you know, I think you're going to write about this. I'm gonna, I think you're going to write about this. And I didn't at all think I was going to write about it. And then and then the fates conspired to, to, to keep putting pieces in place. And uh, the more I got into it, the more I, I just um, thought that this was not only a terrifically wild celebration and, and, and I've traveled a lot in my life and my career. I've been to many, many places and I still maintain that Burning Man is the single most interesting place I've ever been. And, and it continues to be so for, for various reasons, the, the, the art that's going on there, the, uh, the, the formative social patterns that are, that are taking shape there, the uh, at living out on the desert for, for a week and a half, uh, all that stuff just, just makes it an amazing place. <laughs> yeah, and we'll get more into that in a little bit, kind of like the experience of Burning Man. Um, but, you know, kind of still building our foundation for the listeners here, you started talking a little bit about, you know, how you kind of initially got into the book process itself but can you also tell us a little bit more about how it was actually writing the thing for you well uh it was um the hardest thing i've ever done in my career it was the most satisfying thing i've ever done in my career um for a long time i didn't for a good while so i just started doing it i said i'm gonna do it i didn't have anything else on my calendar um so i just started you know slugging it out and writing a writing any book and writing a piece of nonfiction reporting um, is a is a steep uphill climb. And I think I was probably two years into it, and I and I didn't really know if I had anything there. And finally, I I was um, I was in a car driving from Washington to to a funeral in Philadelphia. And the first line of the book shoved itself into my brain. And the first line was, nobody saw any of this coming. And that, that is now the first line in the book. And, and that, you know, the musicians, composers often talk, well, you're a, you're a musician. Um, but I've heard a lot of popular songwriters, Dylan says it, and I've heard Gordon Lightfoot say it, that they don't know where songs come from. They just seem to show up. And that line sort of showed up. And that, and that, that, unpacked, the, that unpacked much of it for me. Uh, that got me going. And then, um, and then the other thing was I still didn't have a, so I, so that got, got the, got the ball rolling. And the other thing that, that I, I sort of, there's, there's tremendous frustration when you're writing something and anything, and you, you really often wonder if you're going to, if you're going to get through it. You, and sometimes it can be as short as a 800 word column. And this one, I think I, I, I was continually confronted with those kinds of frustrations and I came up with a mantra for myself which was just pick the low-lying fruit whatever whatever shows up right now whatever you can write about right now just take it and it'll it'll lead you to the next stage 
And and so I, I, I that was the other great insight I had into into writing a, a book as multidimensional as this one that that I'd feel stalled or I'd feel like I, I really couldn't go further or I was getting anxious about whether I really had all the information I needed and I just say all right what do I right now at this moment what can I say that I know and and that got me through uh, a, a numerous you know potential writer block moments. Uh, and then the other thing about writing this book was, it was I, I have never before had the opportunity in my career to, to do like four versions of a of a book. The I wrote it once, uh, and then the agent kind of asked for some rework, and then the editors uh, got wanted some rework, and then in in the copy editing phase, I, I can't say enough about my publisher, Counterpoint Press, out of uh, Berkeley, California. It's it's. Uh, an old school, old school sort of book publishing that uh, is very it doesn't exist anymore in most places. Where you, uh, it's sort of a boutique press by a, run by a guy who who had an eminent career in publishing, and uh, so I, I I got a chance to keep polishing and polishing and polishing, and by the end I I read the book now in, as a book oh maybe three or four times cover to cover, and. The thing I like most about it is generally when I write a piece, after it gets in print, you'll say, oh, I wish I hadn't said that, or I wish I'd used this word or that word. And reading this book, I, I, it feels like uh, it's pure silk. You know? I, 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 so that was a real, real luxury to be able to, to have that kind of um, chance to just keep buffing and buffing and buffing. Uh, so it was, it was terrific. It was a, and the other thing I really would blew me away was how much you can find on the internet now. You know, you'd, you'd be, you'd be at a point where you'd want to know about how do you, uh, construct a, a yurt. You know, they lot of folks live in yurts out there. And, you know, when in the old, I'm 74, so I came of age, you know, in, in the old days. And, you know, you'd have to go on a yurt expedition or something. But now I, I could just look up yurt and spend 20 minutes and finding, you know, you'd find enough information so that then you could distill it into that one kind of a positive phrase or something, whatever you wanted to, whatever you wanted to use. And, and, and the reader wouldn't even know that it was, you know, the product of research. It doesn't sound erudite. It doesn't sound pedantic, but it's just the right word or just the right image. And, and that was terrific. The, the, the internet has made life so, so much easier. And the same with interviewing. Um, I kept trying to get into Google, as you mentioned in your intro. Uh, Google has a very, very strong connection with, with Burning Man. And I had very good connections into a lot of the, you know, the Schmidt and the, the the two founders of Google are very much into Burning Man, so there so there were there were links I could you know I, I kept trying to exercise because I wanted to interview them and they just I, I couldn't get into the company. But what I was able to do on the internet was find uh, a half dozen a dozen interview uh, interviews or discussions or speeches that uh, Page and Brim gave. And thus, I could kind of watch them and then report them as if I were in the, you know, as if I were in the audience, and I could use what I, I could find stuff that I needed from that experience, and and that was terrific. I mean, that was a so the internet has has liberated uh, liberated writers, I think, in a in a way that I hadn't fully appreciated before I started doing this book. 
And then, you know, Wikipedia is just the treasure of treasures because every question that you have, you can at least fake an answer by way of Wikipedia. Oh, yeah. And if they don't have it, then they'll have resources linked where you can find it. Yeah, it's, it's great. I mean, ever, ever since I, I mean, now I give every time they have a fun drive, I give money because I could never have done this book without them. So I'm just, uh, you know, yeah, grateful. But that's that's how I did the book. I mean, it was hard. I, you know, my wife, I think, was frustrated about two and a half years into it. And my son never took it seriously until it sort of came out. But voila. <laughs> oh, I bet they take you seriously now. Uh, I'm not even sure of that. <laughs> but, but, Fair enough. But, but uh, well, she's very proud. And the Times, the New York Times asked me uh, uh, to write a piece uh, a few weeks ago on virtual Burning Man. And that was, you know, that was a great, a great career, you know, high to do a, an op-ed in the Times. And that was, that gave me some, some street cred in my household. Oh, I'm sure. And we'll actually come back to the virtual one um, in a little bit as well in terms of, you know, how that has changed as well. Um, Still kind of big picture questions here. Um, Based on your experiences, you know, in all these different areas, really, um, who do you think some target readers for this book might be? Well, I I, I think actually, I I believe uh, anybody studying American studies or interested in cultural history or interested in uh, popular culture would uh, should would, would find this book fascinating. Um, I mean, I <laughs> it's shameless of me to say, but I've heard it from other people, so I'm just repeating the fascinating <laughs> one. Um, uh, I don't know if you agree. Uh, and then you've got the the, the burners, uh, and it's a huge community. Uh, people that have been to Burning Man or want to go to Burning Man or heard of Burning Man and wonder what it's about. And I think uh, I, I've heard from other readers as well that this book is a, you know, it's a very, very comprehensive kind of treatment of, of what, what Burning Man, how it became, what it is, its, its various aspects. And I think the, uh, the best praise I got was um, uh, the Smithsonian in Washington had an art show. Uh, they gave away, uh, they, 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 they mounted a massive show about Burning Man, and when it in its last days, they, they staged a day long symposium, and I was asked to give the uh, the concluding remarks, and they wanted me to talk about the future of Burning Man, you know, and, and I was humbled because because in the audience were the people that had started Burning Man, and I mean, you know, and I I'm, I have no special claim to any expertise, and when Burning Man types ask me, well, what who you know, what, how did you get the right what what you know what what gave you the power to write about Burning Man? I said, well, I, nobody gave me made me an expert on Burning Man, but I am a pretty good reporter. So I took you know I just think I'm a reporter. But here I was at this at this symposium talking about the future of Burning Man, and, and, and I you know speculated my ideas. And then at the end, uh, one of the eminences of Burning Man came up and he said, you know I, I don't know that I've ever heard it put that way before, and so you know so coherently. And that was hugely uh, satisfying. I mean, that was that that was flattering. So, but I think that anybody interested in in, in American culture, particularly now, would find this. I did the American Studies program at Yale, and 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 it it just drips through this book. I can see, you know time and time again. I see where I'm putting together my sort of you know American Studies stuff uh, into this book, uh, and I think it's fun. People, one of the one of the 
critics call it a combination of sort of a fun novel and a guide or something. So it, it, it has certain novelistic qualities. It, I think, I, did you find it a fun read? I think it's a fun read. Did you, did you think so? Oh yeah, absolutely. I thought it was really informative, but still like easy to read. Like it, I don't know. I, I can totally see how your American studies hat and your reporter hat, I guess, carried through it in that kind of nice balance. Yeah, that, that was the fusion. I mean, and that was the, 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 the single most important person in my, well, one of the single most important people in my career was Tom Wolfe. And I sort of decided to be a writer when I was in high school and I read a collection of his essays before he even was, you know, a legend. And uh, there's a, I, I just feel that this gave me the moment to, to, to kind of pull together all that, all the, the stuff that a guy like Wolf did, because one thing that most people don't realize about Wolf is he's got a PhD in American studies from Yale and, and uh, uh, he, he draws on a tremendous amount of uh, historical and academic sort of insight without, but he wears it very, very lightly. But his, his work is, is, is such a, you know, it's such a quality above almost any other nonfiction journalist he's passed on now, but it was the, the, the space book or a lot of his short pieces because he has this knowledge. And so I, I actually went to Yale because, to graduate school because of him as a model. And then the first, cause I, and then I knew I wanted to be a, a writer and, and I, I got to know him. And the first time I met him, I said, well, I went to, I went to Yale because of you, the graduate school. And he looks at me and says, will you ever forgive me? Because I don't know how your graduate school experience is, but American studies graduate experience at Yale is pretty uh, onerous. And I said, no, I'm not. Well, I'm not sure if I do. And he laughed. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> That's really cool. I can see that makes a lot of sense, actually, the more you're talking about it. I was like, ah, okay, yes, I see it now. <laughs> I yeah, I, I just, you know, I love, but it was, it was a wonderful, at this, at this stage of my career, to be able to draw on all the various uh, aspects of my work and, and, and bring it together in one book was, was hugely satisfying. I mean, it's sort of the capstone of a career. It was a great feeling to do it. Yeah. And I think all the, again, all these different hats you wear, you know, kind of, again, I can see that absolutely resonating in the book. And I guess, let me ask you this too, you know, coming from your positionality and authoring this book, what do you think makes Radical Ritual different than say like other books about Burning Man? Well, I that's a, a very good question. I think it takes Burning Man seriously without being a fan letter or a hysterical kind of pay into it. Or a, I mean, I'm it, it, I'm an ambivalent burner. I mean, I don't know that I, I, mean, I was once uh, asked by somebody I went again one of the one of the leaders of the organization first time they met me. They said, "Well, are, are you a burner?" And I said, "Well, I don't think so." <laughs> And then they said, that's good. <laughs> yeah. So it makes it different, I think, in that um, I don't, I've read uh, everything that's written, almost everything that's been written. I think perhaps everything that's been written about Burning Man. In, and uh, I think I draw, I, I, I located it in an historical context in a way that I don't think I read in anybody else's work. Um, I think that uh, I have a natural kind of cynicism without without sort of resorting to media media tropes or knee jerk uh, sort of cliches. So you so so I'm not a I'm not 
blind to the excesses or the uh, uh, ludicrousness of much of what goes on there. And yet at the same time, um, I'm uh, hugely supportive of it. And, right. and so, so I think what, to answer your question, I think this book probably gives a more detached, objective, sliverly cynical, but not conventionally supercilious looking down uh, look at, at a, a major cultural phenomenon in the world. Right. And I think one of the things that always comes up, you know, in anthropology, for instance, is the idea of insider-outsider perspective, you know, what brings to the table. And I think that definitely comes into play with that, like you were getting at. Yeah, I think that's, I hadn't thought about that. But yeah, there's, I mean, that's, I, I sort of put on masks, you know, not masks, I, I go in and out. I, I also wanted to give, the, there were a couple of chapters where I, I wanted to give the reader the actual, a, a, a retelling of my experience at Burning Man. So, because everyone has a different experience, so you can't say the Burning Man experience. So there's a couple of chapters that were written ex- uh, explicitly for for someone who's who, who has never been there, just so that they might be able to get a kind of textural feel for what 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 this place is like and what happens and 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 you know what what constitutes its existential qualities. Yes, I definitely got that. It, I haven't been personally in that chap those chapters that you're talking about. Definitely painted the picture of all the spectacle that you experience, you know, in that space, it seems like. Well, that's what's lost. I mean, that's what's typically lost um, by people who haven't been there is, the, is if you only know it, if you only know it from the, from the media, there's a sense of, uh, you know, it's naked people running around having sex and getting stoned. And, 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 you know, the, the media has again and again and again retreated to that soundbite. But, but, what it, but the spectacle, as you aptly note, is what makes it extraordinary. And, and, and not merely spectacle, spectacle as a participatory spectacle. It, it, it's not as if you're going to the carnival and you're watching all this stuff because it's all done by, by all of us that are there. Nothing is, you know, and that's a hard concept for people who who don't know it or who only who think it's another sort of Coachella or, or you know one of these festivals you buy a ticket and you watch professional talent perform it, it, it's it's uh, uh, entirely produced by the people who are there quote unquote the citizens of Burning Man or the citizens of Black Rock City and that's there's 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 nothing comparable to that in the world I don't believe there are there are other festivals but but on the scale that this is and the magnitude of the ambition of the of the various um, uh, participants the artists or, or when somebody's recreating a Boeing seven oh seven out there I mean they haven't got the whole thing finished yet see I've seen it unravel in several years but I mean think about that they're they're building they're they're bringing out a 707 in the middle of the desert uh, that they're, they're, recon- they're reconstructing. I mean, that's staggering. I mean, it's just, a, and, and that's, that was, you know, you, you can have 25 hits like that a day when you think, my gosh, some, this is going on here. I mean, how did somebody find creme fraiche in the middle of the desert? <laughs> <you know? laughs> yeah. I think all that resonates really well in your discussion of kind of how the idea of art or the categories of art, like you said, with that participatory aspect, are blurred. I mean, it's expanded almost. Well, like- well I, I think 
I mean, I, I don't know if you if you want to get into the the nitty gritty yet, but but um, I, I I genuinely believe that the notion of art, which 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 is central, it's central to the aesthetic. Uh, of the found the guy who founded the whole thing started it himself. He's also deceased now, and is 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 the foundation of everything that gets done there. Is interactive it, it, because the idea is 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 one is involved in some aspect of the piece. Either you want, you have to tug and pull at it to make it move, or or you you enter it, or you you you, know, you slide down it, or. Or it changes. You swing on it, or you might, or you change colors in front of you, or something. And that is that is. And I don't believe that uh, anywhere else has that has. It's like this is the the Basel of uh, you know the Basel of large scale and techno industrial art. The other thing that makes it extraordinary is is the whole Silicon Valley crew is is deeply, deeply, deeply intertwined in the work that get, that goes on out there in, in terms of uh, the, the, the interactivity of the art. I mean, some of the stuff, see, they were, when the guy who died, who, who, who founded it, a guy named Larry Harvey, and he died two years ago, and he was in charge of, after, it, it has since turned into a nonprofit, and it's a reasonably big organization, and, and it's now, 75,000 people come to it every year and there are offshoots all over the world. So it's, it's, it's a, it's an enterprise now, a nonprofit enterprise, but um, Harvey always had kept the, the specific role of, of being in charge of the, of the man himself, the effigy the, the, that gets burned, the central piece. And there's a long history of how that happened. But the story I'd like to tell right now is uh, upon his death, he was working on a vision of a, uh, three-story high wooden effigy of a being, you know, a man or something, that was going to have the technological capability of being able to, to, to move and change poses and do that in response to the crowd that, 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 that was surrounding him. So there would have been visual optics like that. Now that, so you would have had this, if the crowd, I don't, it never got, you know, it never got too far along, and then he died, and and then nobody else, you know, had that kind of crazed ambition yet. But think about, think about, think about that. I mean, think about the uh, the uh, um, the the that quality of, of fusing technology with humanism with interactivity. This is this is the future. I mean, this is you know, assuming we don't blow ourselves up or. Whatever, but I mean, if if the culture continues to go this way, this is going to be the future, I believe. Yeah, and speaking of future, you know, you that kind of captures the essence of that the Burning Man that happened this year, right? Like with the online uh, oh, multiverse. Yeah. I was blown away. I mean, I was blown away. I uh, I wouldn't have. I don't think that I would. I, I mean, I it had the times not. I got one. I got a email one day from from one of the editors at the, in the op-ed section and they said we were sitting around talking about how the COVID has affected so many different things and Burning Man came up and we said yeah, I wonder how Burning Man is going to be affected by this all and then they so they and they knew my book and so they asked me to write a piece about virtual Burning Man 
And I, I don't know that I necessarily would have even looked at it. I would have gone online to, to look at it had I not had that assignment. But, but then I got involved in it and uh, staggering stuff, staggering stuff. Uh, so they called, Burning Man was, was canceled in the spring and there were no plans and nobody knew what, you know, there was no plans to, to bring it virtual. There was not, it was just not going to happen. And then because of the nature of this community and its, it's, it's uh, spontaneity and its independence and its uh, commitment to, to, to activity, uh, there, eventually eight different platforms were sanctioned by the organization as, as, as being worthy of being lumped together into a site that one, one entered by way of a Burning Man uh, uh, HTTP. And, and they were done by different, different, different entities. Some were done by whole shops. One was, was modeled after Second Life. Uh, several were, were, were variations of commercial sort of interactive, participatory, artificial uh, uh, intelligence stuff that's going on. One of them was a three-dimensional reality that, that you wore the goggles with. Uh, but uh, the thing that I, the one that I ended up going on uh, with my wife was uh, a site where you 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 have an avatar, and we didn't turn ours into anything special. But many people, you know, made very very elaborate avatars, and and then uh, and and I was really you know at a very what's the right word early stage of knowing how to technologically navigate this site. I mean, someone that was better would, would have moved much faster. So, you know, I, I was moving like a dummy. And so we somehow end up out on the playa, the, the playa being where all the art is. And we approach a piece of art that somebody, people made the art for this stuff. I mean, you could, you could, you could make a piece of art and install it on this playa, you know, digital art of some form. And, uh, and we're sitting there looking at it. And then there's somebody and, and other avatars are also sort of there. And you can see the other avatars. And one had the capacity to talk to uh, a neighboring avatar if they chose to respond to your, to your, you know, your ping. And so we're, uh, we're out there and we're talking to some, this woman happened to be in New York City. But I was just astounded by this. I mean, astounded by this as a, as a cultural historian, you know, as a student of tech, technology and, and culture. I, I mean, imagine what this is going to be like you know, five years from now, 10 years from now, that we will be able to have environments that, that, that are attractive to us, that where we can interact with other people. A friend of um, another burning guy, the guy I write about in the book, I don't remember, the Marine who at the first temple burn I went to, who came back from uh, Vietnam with a, with a flag, uh, with uh, the, the scarf that he, he was a Marine and, and he had killed a, in Iraq rather, he had killed somebody and, uh, and his friend had been killed and this guy was suffering and he, he, was, he was had all kinds of problems. And he went to the temple there at Burning Man, which is one of the, one of the facets of the place. And you, you bring your sort of emotional trappings to this thing. And then they burn. And then at the end of the, the, the week, the temple burns. So some people will bring old wedding dresses and some people will inscribe letters to 
to someone who they want to forgive or want to be forgiven by. And this guy had brought the, uh, the, the, the scarf from the Iraqi and a flag, uh, one of the flags that, that they give de- veterans after they die. Uh, and he brought them both to the temple and he wrote over it uh, to, to my brother, whom I couldn't bring back home, and to my other brother, who I kept from coming home. And, 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 and this was like his, his emotional purge. And he's a very different guy these days. But he had told us about virtual Burning Man. And he was going to the bars because some people had built bars uh, in this virtual Burning Man. And, you would, you would, he, and he was saying to us, you know, he would, at night he'd go to the bar, and which he, you know, he does the same thing at Burning Man. And he'd go to the bar and, and, and chat up people and, you know, extraordinary, extraordinary. And if, in fact, we, you know, if COVID heralds a, a massive threshold, of, you know, a Grand Canyon in the civilization, and on the other side, it's going to look very, very different and, and very much more virtual. Uh, I, I think that, that this Burning Man, uh, virtual Burning Man, will, will, will rank as a very, very significant historical moment in, in the development of ways to exploit virtual reality for a, for a humane purpose. I mean, nobody was doing it to make money. Nobody, you know, that's the thing that differentiates Burning Man 2 from, from, from the festivals. And it's not, a, and it sounds, when, when one describes it, it sounds soporific and, 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 you know, real sloppy. But, but in fact, it's true. For a week or eight days, 10 days, people sort of suspend the notion of commerce. And, 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 and so what it's replaced by is a kind of, uh, you know, foundational humanity that we all share. And, and, and that was what was driving the, the innovations that, that were in this portfolio of platforms at Virtual Burning Man. And they were, and I, I, I can't underscore enough that the, 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 the techno wizards of wizards are the one are, are participate in Burning Man. And it's right up. It's up from. Oh, Elon Musk has a famous line where he said, "He said Silicon Valley is Burning Man." So, so the the stuff you see out there, and the platforms probably partake of that, are are crazy beta tests of some genius that that you know wants to see if you can make a robot spot a crowd and then with artificial intelligence detect the mood of the crowd and then you know respond to that mood uh, that's the kind of stuff that's going on there that was a long-winded answer to i don't know if there was oh virtual yeah oh, virtual was very cool i mean I, I i suspect it'll go on i i i would predict that there will be virtuals now as a as an ongoing thing uh, associated with burning man and 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 everything went down it was just like burning man in that it was eight days and then all the platforms were taken down so it was a real, uh, you know, it was, it was an ersatz experience like that. Yeah, that must have been really fascinating. I was just trying to, like, I haven't gone to any kind of large events online yet this year, but I kind of want to, to just kind of see what it's like compared to, you know, like like the Mardi Gras stuff, for instance, like what that would be like. That'd be fascinating. I mean, you could do, I mean, think about that one. I mean, you could you could create a Mardi Gras, I mean, it could be simulated, <laughs> uh, and and the museum people could program their music. There was music playing at, uh, on this site that we went to in this this virtual uh, Black Rock City. 
people had chosen to put, there were certain places and they had markers in the ground. And if you went to that marker and triggered it, uh, you'd hear wow. music and some, some that, that somebody had put together and, and, and some, and a couple of them had avatars. There were stages set up. Uh, so I don't, you know, I, it, it was, it's just, it's mind boggling. It's just mind boggling. You know, uh, you know, for someone that kind of takes the, looks at culture through a telescope or something and wants to kind of get a sense of where it's evolving and stuff. And that's one of the things that just, I was blown, I continued, and I've been blown away by Burning Man. That's one of the reasons I wrote the book, just to try to define for myself what this culture was about. Yeah, and speaking of the culture here, you kind of started getting at this a little bit in there when you were talking about how, you know, it wasn't for money and kind of getting at the values of Burning Man. Can you talk to us a little bit more about that in terms of, you know, in this culture, what are some of the key terms and values? Sure. Well, there are um, uh, there are 10 principles to Burning Man, and there's a long backstory about how these principles came to be. But essentially, when one enters, uh, there there are uh, they're not regulations, uh, they're not prescriptions, but they're sort of uh, ex- expectations and descriptors of what goes on here. So some of them are, are leave no trace behind, and and. Uh, uh, Everybody is welcome. I mean, you, your default is to bring somebody in. So somebody, you know, but the, but there's also a commercial one, which, which is, is, is phrased in terms of decommodification. Uh, and these, these principles were, were um, uh, compiled by the guy I was talking about earlier, Larry Harvey, the, the one who was designing the uh, Dancing, Dancing Burning Man. And uh, it, it, they sort of reflect... Uh, a fusion of San Francisco bohemianism and the uh, uh, last vestiges of the 60s culture, the hippies culture, in that there was a sense of a communal capacity to uh, uh, sustain and support and uh, at least in a short period of time uh, enable people to, 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 uh, display their 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 best sides, as it were, to, to, to display their most creative sides, their most artistic sides, their most humane sides, and 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 keeping with a with a sort of a an elaborate social ideology, uh, it was a repudiation of capitalism and commodification. And and one of uh, one of Harvey's compelling ideas was that we live in a culture. And we live in a society where virtually everything is commodified. You know, you pay to watch entertainment. To your role in life is very much defined by structured uh, expectations that are associated with some kind of cash payment or, or social status or things like that. So this is this was structured as a decommodified world. Nothing is for sale in this. You can't buy anything. The only thing you can buy is ice because it's mandated by the state of Nevada. And there's a kind of a big coffee center because there was a tradition right from the beginning uh, when there were only a dozen people that went out into the desert of always having a pot of coffee on the street. You could always, there was always a pot of coffee uh, on a fire. Other than that, you can't, there's nothing you can buy. 
there, there, there's nothing you can buy. So you bring your stuff, and if you if you need something, you, you, you borrow it, or somebody gives it to you. And gifting is uh, the notion of gifting is also central to this culture. And the idea of gifting is that all of us have some some gift we can give. I mean, it can be it can be something like making a piece of art, or it can be uh, being a storyteller. Or, you know, just uh, having a sympathetic ear for somebody. Uh, and so gifting is going on all over the place, all kinds of wonderful things. And the bar I was talking about, for example, on, on Playa, you wouldn't, uh, some, this camp, whoever they are, you know, would have brought all the liquor, etc. And it was all free. I mean, you know, it was free. They, then they built the bar. They're wonderful musical. Uh, there's, there's various there's a, a bluegrass area, there's a jazz area, there's a, an orchestral area that, that form, people come with their instruments and form the Burning Man Arm, the Black Rock City Orchestra. And all of this is construed as a gift. It's a gift to the community. The performances are gifts to the community. Yeah, and, and, and the notion of, of, of keeping it clean and keeping it... Uh, making sure that no trace really is left behind it. It's when I come back from Burning Man, I find myself for the first few weeks back in Washington. When I see a piece of litter on the street, I pick it up. I mean, it doesn't last forever, but it's like, this is our collective environment. And, and, and the collective environment I've just been in for the last two weeks where we all have stake in it. Uh, you don't litter. And I'm walking down the street in Washington, and this is a my environment, our environment, and people, there's litter, and I'm going to pick it up, you know, maybe, maybe, who knows what, maybe someone will see it and do it too, but, but it's that kind of a thing, and, and, and a big element is the, the, the decommodification, people will, if you rent a U-Haul trailer, people tape over the U-Haul <laughs> logo on it and stuff like that, people, the various entrepreneurs and companies have tried to do things at Burning Man, you know, they want to introduce a product or they wanted to underwrite a stage or something like that. And, and, and they just refused to have any of it. So, so for, for another model that is going on here is, is a model of decommodified interaction. And nobody would suggest that that can be done in the real world over a long period of time, but to see it underway in a short period of time can, um, shake loose a lot of uh, um, truths that you've held as inviolable and suddenly you see that there's an alternative way to organize life. And and various, yeah, uh, some people take the plunge. I mean, there are, I write a bit about that in the book too, people who decided that they were going to change their lives and, and some would work in Burning Man and others just decided they didn't want to be a corporate lawyer anymore and, 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 and stop being a corporate lawyer. On, on the strength of the experiences they had at Burning Man. The other thing is it's an environment where you have tremendous numbers of experiences and because of the physical environment, because of the social environment. Uh, you go deep into yourself. Sometimes it's painful. Sometimes it's, it's liberating. And, but the, you find out constantly that the person you thought you were or the person you took for granted when you walked through the gate isn't necessarily the only person you can be. And, and, and that can, that can have a, a, a real stunning effect on people. For some, it's the disintegration of an ego and breakdowns are not uncommon there. And others, it's, it's, it's a kind of transcendent ambition to do something much grander than they've previously done. 
And, you know, you don't, there are not spaces like that in the world. No, not <laughs> many, at least. <laughs> yeah, I mean, not many. I mean, there are, I mean, there are spaces, but, but I don't know. I mean, really, truly. I mean, you know, you can go to a, one of those, um, what do they call it? You know, personal transformation workshops right. or something. Or, or perhaps, you know, there are organized religions that offer this alternative outward bound but but the idea that every year there will be this 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 event and with so many different dimensions to it that ultimately lead back to the self that's 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 pretty amazing yeah that is and you know all this came from um one person you keep mentioning of course larry harvey right and Uh, Can you talk to me about your relationship with him? And, you know, you were getting at this at the beginning, but towards the end of the book, you talk about like his memorial service, you know, at that service, how did people close to Harvey describe him and his values that fed into Burning Man? Uh, Well, my relationship, I I probably had a half dozen extended personal conversations with him. He is a very, uh, he was a very complex guy uh, and not uh, not an emotional reader. And and, and, and it wasn't that he was not warm. It was that he was really uh, uh, socially distant. So so he he, was a complicated guy. Uh, uh, I go again in the book, there's a lot of backstory, but I think. The first time I met him, uh, so so I'm I started working on the book, and the, one of the people who was in charge of uh, public relations and communications at the organization um, was a very very uh, powerful ally in the book, and I and Harvey was coming to New York to talk at Columbia, and uh, I was going to go up and hear him, and then we were going to meet the next day, and that was to be our first meeting. And at that point, I wasn't even sure I was going to do the book. And I couldn't do the book if he didn't. He had to want to do the book with me. And if he if he didn't, then, then it was hopeless. And so we go to a coffee shop after it on the next day. And, and, and he's, I just felt like I was blowing the whole, the whole interview. I mean, I, and I've been a reporter my whole life. So, you know, I, I know how to schmooze an interview. But it just wasn't working. And then at some point, it came out. That we 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 both had a child the same age. We both had a thirty-five year old child, and it was funny because that became the and then that got us talking about fathering, and that was what opened everything up. And 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 I think there's a sense of that in the in the chapter about the memorial service at the end. It was his his son who who gave the final the final kind of benediction over the whole event. Um, he was uh, uh, a big time. Uh, in some ways, he was a, a sort of a, a lost soul until Burning Man, and Burning Man was was the the uh, anchor to his whole life. Uh, he was um, a visionary, and people all people will say that he 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 would see things that others didn't. He he believed in the. Uh, potential inherent in, 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 in the collective coming together of all these people, that, that it would indeed transform ultimately all kinds of things. Uh, he was uh, very political, um, not conventionally in the terms, in the sense of uh, 
party politics, but he 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 um, he made enemies internally and and allies. But he was not he he wasn't a saint, uh, but he was respected as as a, he he enjoyed extraordinary respect. Uh, at the end, uh, so when when the or when Burning Man became a, a, a nonprofit organization uh, in about eight or nine years ago, and and in that form they had to have a lot more. Up, up until then, it was a, a private LLC that Harvey and about four other people sort of owned. But but it it, it made you know they didn't make any money, and uh, all the money they had went back into the event. The event costs I don't know. 20 million bucks a year to throw maybe something like that. Something, the number's very big. And until very recently, I, I don't know where they stand right now. And I know that not having the event this year was quite devastating. And there's been a lot of fundraising and because it, because it, it basically runs uh, on its cash flow every year and the savings or the, the accumulated capital is, 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 is indeed rather negligible. Um, but uh, Harvey was the guy at the end when they when they became a four hundred one c three, and they had to have a more official board and they had to run their books a little differently and everything. And it was clear to everybody that Harvey was not the guy to be the to be <laughs> the CEO of this organization. So they create and he had, he came to accept that, and uh, they created a position for they created a, a, an entity for him, not merely a position called the Philosophical Center, and he was the chief philosophical officer. And that, that sort of speaks volumes of what his role was. He was the house intellectual. Uh, he was the guy who, uh, you know, was able to, who read lots and lots of books. He used to bring, a very shy man, and he used to <laughs> bring books to Burning Man, to the event itself. He, he had a, a, an old Airstream, and he would... Uh, uh, bring books to read at Burning Man, and as somebody said, you know, who who brings books to read? You know, you don't read at Burning Man. I'm a, I'm an inveterate reader, and I don't read. I mean, I'm reading all the time. I don't read a word at Burning Man. But Har- Harvey was, you know, <laughs> he was that kind of guy. Um, the one of the I'm very very sad that he didn't get to read the book. You know, I, I am very sad because I was in part I was writing the book for him. And there was a time when I wasn't, when I didn't know this book was going to get published. Uh, the uh, New York publishing houses, uh, this was a few years ago and before the big Smithsonian show, but uh, they had a whole uh, cop-out attitude about Burning Man. Burning Man on the West Coast is, is perceived very differently than it is on the East Coast, although that's changing now. But on the West Coast, it's understood to be, uh, you know, a crazy show, but something to be taken seriously. On the East Coast, it was, uh, you know, all the disdainful sort of images that I mentioned earlier. You know, they were just too hip for that. Uh, so I didn't think the book was going to get published. It was turned down for a while by various houses and stuff. But uh, at one point I told Harvey, I said, listen, I'm writing it. I'm into it. I mean, this is my, my art project. This is, I, I, I'm deep into it. I'm going to finish it. And if nothing else, I'm gonna I'll give it to you, and it can be reside in the Philosophic Center, and and you know it'll be a resource. So and and so I really was I'm, to this day as I talk to you, I'm sad that he never got to read it because I would have loved to have conversations. I would have loved to see what he thought about it, and then I would have loved to be able to keep talking to him about it. But uh, 
he's not around. Yeah, no. <laughs> but he's but his successors are are you know, and it's going to be interesting to see what it'll be like under his successors and the actual man, the 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 the, the running of the organization. He he was not involved in after after the last five seven years. The event was run. His his sole role was to, as I said, to choose the man and to oversee the man. But but there now is an there was an organization, depending on how they come through COVID, that that ran everything, and and uh, and they'll do just fine, assuming everything's good. Um, the question is going to be, you know, where the intellectual firepower is going to come from. Uh, and there's a guy that that was sort of his wingman, as it were, and. and uh, uh, and he's now in charge of the Philosophic Center, and he's a good man. And, and it'll be interesting to see, you know, what what if he what he ends up doing. But Harvey had Harvey had the magic dust when it came to reading the mood of the times and 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 being able to energize the uh, uh, crazed ambitions of artists and those who were comfortable around artists. <laughs> right. Totally. That's awesome. Yeah, really, it would be interesting to see what he thought of the book. And then like you were talking about with the online, you know, event. Yeah, I think, yeah. Well, he probably would have, I mean, my hunch, he was not techno. I mean, he was anti-techno. <laughs> uh, and the last, uh, the last burn that he um, oversaw was this artificial, the reason why he had this bird, this burning man that was going to dance was because the, the theme of the last burn, he also came up with the themes of each burn. Every burn has a theme. And, and, and the last one was going to be artificial intelligence. And he, that was his last, the last theme that he had contributed. And he was quite concerned that the, the Silicon Valley types uh, couldn't wait to have chips put in their brains. Uh, yeah, you know, the metaphor that we're all going to have chips in our brains and, and we'll be able to uh, do all kinds of extraordinary things. And, and as we, as the, uh, what do they call it? The convergence point or whatever that's called, where, where the, the biological and the technological fuse. And that to him was, was an awful proposition. And uh, so I don't know. So I don't know how he would have handled virtual burning it. He might, he might've loathed it because what he, what he really liked is the press of flesh, you know, the kinds of emotional things one has. One thing about virtual burning man is you don't have those emotional ups and downs as I was describing earlier, which are so fundamental to the experience of being there. Um, so I, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I think my intuition is he wouldn't have liked it, but, but he was enough of a realist and, you know, he would have understood that he would have figured out a way to, to use it to his ends and the ends of his vision. Oh yeah, <laughs> I'm sure. Well, thank you so much for talking with us today. Um, what are you else are you working on these days? Well, I, I, I'm learning, well, I, I mentioned to you earlier, I'm, I've sort of shifted over to the piano and I'm trying to learn how to play jazz. And now I've just, I, 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 uh, I looked, I wanted to do a book. So the book was finished and I wasn't sure what I was going to do next one. I wanted to do a book on mind fucking on, uh, uh, the, uh, sort of what happened with Cam- Cambridge Analytica and, and what's going on right now with all the manipulation of social media for the sake of, uh, mobilizing people that don't know they're being mobilized. And, uh, and I sort of started looking at that for a while and then that didn't come off. And then um, I, I, I was thinking about doing a book uh, uh, from inside organized baseball. Uh, I had contacts that could have brought me into uh, major league baseball as it tries to figure out a way to straddle uh, this tradition and, and the romance and the sort of, 
sentimentality that, that baseball occupies in our cultural space with the business reality of uh, uh, it's not capturing young audiences anymore. And it no longer is. is, is so they're, 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 they're and I was going to look at it from the point of view of, of the chief baseball officer who loves the game, but is also part of the organization. And then uh, that became, that was, I think, essentially too political a topic for this guy to let me, let me write about. Okay. So, so then I just said, well, you know, I'm going to just play the piano. <laughs> and then, uh, and then COVID hit and I thought, well, I'll just make, some, I've been working on, an, <clears throat> it's so pompous to say it, but an autobiography, but, but it's really positioned as a letter to my children. So I write it as something that I'll, I'll give, I have three children and, and, and it'll, and, and I've been, I work at that for a number of years and, and, and some of it's not bad. And then when COVID hit, I thought, well, I'll do a chapter, you know, notes from a season of the siege. And now I think I'm into that. Now it's, it's, I've been working on that for the last few weeks and it's got some momentum right now. So I'm kind of doing a daily take on, on, on what, what seems to be in my mind at the moment at each day underneath the siege. We've been, you know, we've been, we've left Washington and we've left, lived since June on the Delaware coast and, and, and in a, in a, not isolated, but a very, very simple town setting. And, and then the, the convergence of the siege with, you know, with Trump and, and this election. So I've been writing about, about using as a cultural historian about the moment in time, as it were. So I don't know if anything of that will see the light of day, but I'm, I'm still writing. <laughs> oh, good. That's good. <laughs> I understand. Well, yeah, that's all very timely work. That's for sure. And I'll, if, like I said, if it comes to the forefront, I'll look forward to. Oh, oh, oh. make sure you get a copy, Emily. It's been a pleasure chit-chatting with you. Yeah. Well, thank you, Neil Schuster, for joining us on New Books and Celebration Studies. I have enjoyed every minute of it, Emily. Thank you so much. Good. And listeners, we appreciate you as well. And as a recap, this is the end of an interview with Neil Schuster about his book, Radical Ritual, How Burning Man Changed the World, published by Karen Boyd Press in 2019. This is Emily Allen, and I'll see you next time here on New Books and Celebration Studies, a special series from the New Books Network. <laughs>